It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Six thirty, Chad. Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at six on Six Thirty, Chad. You know our uh, our colleague Tom Gazzola, who uh, is with TSN now, uh, reported a, a plan for some fans a, a few weeks ago, and I and I know that the Oilers were were pretty close to having fans possibly in mid-April. Um, but then some things changed with COVID, so so that didn't happen. Uh, it's my understanding that Alberta Health Services is very comfortable with uh, what the Oilers did in the bubble last year and with the World Juniors, but uh, I think everybody recognizes there are, there are other things going on in the world and other challenges, and maybe, uh, maybe that wasn't a priority for April. And it, from what I've heard, it, it doesn't sound like OEG is expecting to have fans in the playoffs, and right now we don't even know if the winner of the North Division would be able to play their games in their home rink because of the border issue. Now, as we know, things change, uh, but that's sort of uh, the latest that I could tell you as we bring in Bob Stoffer. And I think the plan would have been, Bob, the first game or two would have been, if this would have happened about a month ago, would have been about 250 uh, healthcare frontline type workers for the first couple of games, and then probably just under 3,000 fans in Rogers Place. But it's all a what if, because... Uh, Unfortunately, it, it, it didn't happen. We, we may not have fans in our building until next year. But here's the thing. The deeper the Oilers go, you, you never know. So we'll see. The journey starts tomorrow. Yeah, we're, we're starting to see a slight decrease in the amount of uh, new cases that are hitting at least the Edmonton region. Uh, it's been, by my count, sub 300 uh, for the last three days. That's a good thing. That means we've got a decreasing amount of positive cases. We're down to about 4650. Uh, and as of yesterday, point two uh million uh, vaccines had been given out of course the province has a population of about uh 4.4 million of which 42 percent of albertans have received one shot so there's your update i think uh, i heard earlier today eileen had somebody on saying that they needed about 70 percent of the population to have had uh, a shot and uh, we're at about seven percent by the way in the province that are fully vaccinated so we'll continue to monitor that i know trudeau has talked about a uh, significant amount of vaccine coming in in may and june we'll see where this all goes but premature at this time i think to suggest uh, that we'd have any knowledge sort of beyond it because it's yeah. simply beyond the team's control it really is at the mercy of alberta health and uh, and also the federal government in terms of the vaccine vaccine ongoing vaccine rollout yeah, I did, I did want to touch on it, though, just because, you know, yeah. we were watching all these games on TV with that. And mo- most of these American buildings are, well, they're, none of them are full. Some of them are well under half full, Bob. And then they still, you still get that. So I, I know some are a little, have a few more people, but even the ones that have, you know, a few thousand fans, they sound like there's hundreds of thousands because we've been missing that reaction so much along the way. All right. Hey, it's finally starting tomorrow. Uh, I'm going to reference, uh, is my poll closed now? Reed, is I it put snowing? The... By the way, is it snowing uh, in the <laughs> north side of the city? My mom, I have my uh, drapes closed here, but my mom just texted me that it's snowing. It's and I'm, snowing yeah, in I'm, South I'm in Macaulay. Seven. Yeah, I can tell you. That's, it's, that's it's great. Snowing in Southwest Edmonton. So there you have it. Well, hockey weather. There you go. Uh, I, okay. I, actually, people still have an hour to vote. I put this up yesterday. I don't know if you voted, Bob. Uh, What's your I, biggest I, playoff? Did I, you? 
Oh, cool. I voted on your poll. Yeah, sure. What's what's your what's your biggest playoff concern for the Oilers? I've had twenty two hundred votes, forty nine percent depth scoring, thirty four point six percent goaltending, sixteen point three percent size slash physicality. Will it now? It's a secret ballot. Will you disclose your vote? Sure. Depth scoring is what I voted for. Uh, I'm and I think what's happened here is a lot of fans have come to appreciate the work uh, that Mike Smith did. What a difference a uh, few months makes, eh? Reed, remember back on October 10th and then Saturday. Uh, but I think that there is a fair amount of confidence in Mike Smith in terms of you know uh, his competitiveness. And let's not forget, I mean, his career numbers, other than last year when he gave up 18 on 23, when he had not played in three and a half months and when i was tipped off by a couple of guys in Kelowna that were said you know bob it's really going to affect married guys with kids and that sort of thing because their lifestyles are a little bit different in the off season and that sort of scenario but mike smith's had very good career numbers historically speaking uh 934 save percentage in his nhl career even after that tough start last year and uh, as you know the Oilers had an 870 save percentage in the playoff series against chicago and really goaltending, you know, they lost two one-goal games. And when you're at 870 and the guy in the other net played one game better than you, which was game four, that can mm-hmm. be enough to swing a series. So, I, you know, as good as Connor Hellebuck is, and he's really good, um, a lot of people think this is a Connor versus Connor series, Connor McDavid against Connor Hellebuck. Mike Smith head-to-head this year has been very competitive with Connor Hellebuck, so I do not see goaltending as a – I mean, it, it's certainly a storyline. It's always a storyline. But I do – you know, I, I think Edmonton was undermined last year in the play-in series against Chicago by a lack of depth scoring. Um, if I if you had told me, Reed, at the start of the series, uh, Connor McDavid, Leon Dreisaitl, and Ryan Nugent Hopkins would score 10 goals in four games, I would say the Oilers are winning the series in four games. That didn't happen. Edmonton got outscored 16 to 14 in the series. So for me, it is going to be depth scoring. And, uh, you know, I mean, Paul Yarby has been a nice second half story for Edmonton. Um, you know, Cahoon has provided some intermittent offense. Connor is a better player, certainly a better offensive player. You know, I know a lot of people are focusing on the defense, and maybe defense comes to offense, but the guy averaged what, 1.9 points per game this year? Uh, so it's, you know, like, uh, I, for me, it is secondary scoring. I'm, I am concerned. Now, we should state, uh, we don't, do we know if Nikolai Ehlers is going to play? And do we know? Does, doesn't sound like it. And it doesn't and, sound like Dubois is going to play. Well, those are two huge stories for the Jets because that might swing the balance in terms of the depth at forward. I do think Edmonton's better on defense. Your third option, by the way, was to talk about physicality, right? Mm-hmm. And size. And I think we've seen a little bit of a surprise here over the course of the last couple of days of practice. Slater Cuckoo, it looks like he's going to be the third pair along with Ethan Bear. Now, I think if Chris Russell were healthy, that would be his spot. But it, it is interesting. And look, coaches can change their minds, and sometimes they don't want to tip off too much because they know the opposition is listening to everything, especially at this time of year. But Tippett said last week, well, Cuckoo's going to play Saturday, but we, we we think we have our top six, and it didn't sound like he was one of them. Cuckoo got into a game against the Canucks that was, let's face it, not intense and not overly physical, but he did deliver a couple of big hits. Uh, I, I didn't mind Cuckoo's play before he got hurt. And he might, I mean, the Oilers didn't start the season well, Bob. We've talked about the three and six start ad nauseum. 
he was probably one of the guys that did start it pretty well. And now it looks like he's going to get a chance to start the playoffs. Reed, I can 100% guarantee you the Oilers' defense is going to get bigger in the future. And, uh, I mean, who are the two teams that Connor had the most problem against this year? Montreal and Toronto. And those mm-hmm. teams have experienced top fours with some size. Uh, you know, Darnell Nurse, big rangy guy, six foot four, emerged as a top pairing defenseman this year. Larson's way better place right now than he was when we had the play in series last year against Chicago. Another six foot three defender. Cuckoo at six foot two gives him another, you know, a little bit of size. Uh, Kulikov is six one and a half. So the left side of their defense is a little bit different looking. Uh, they still have Barry and Bear, um, but not as much pressure now on Bear, I think, this year. And Barry will strictly play on power play. They got five defensemen that can kill penalties, and they got some size on the left side of their defense. So, uh, I, I I I will tell you this: I am a little. If you told me when they were playing Montreal and we hadn't seen Cuckoo yet at that point, that Cuckoo was going to start the uh, the series, I would have been surprised, Reed. But, but. Uh, I, I do think that continue to monitor this. The orders are going to, like Bouchard, and you know this, Bouchard and Broberg are both going to be on the defense. Uh, Bouchard next year, maybe Broberg the year after. That's a six foot two and six foot four defense. Edmonton's going to have a bigger, rangier, skilled defense that can lean on you. And so, and then the other, Cassian, you know, getting that baggage smasher up front. I didn't think he'd come back this quick, Reed, and he has. Me it, appeared, it appears like he's going to get in. The, and the, the thing for me is Cassian's, he's got to do it. And, and Kara's got to go out there. And, and look, Kara, again, started the season slow and then got better and huge on the penalty kill. But they got to do it five on five. Like it can't, they got to hit five on five. It can't be every second game or when they're a little agitated or Connor and Leon get hit first. You, like, I, I know you probably get sick of me talking about that, but I'm always like, you know, and initiate it, go out there and, and and be the bully and that's what the Oilers need like all 12 forwards McLeod included who's going to get thrust into it they got to start it against the Jets because I think the Jets are the type the type of team if you let them set the tone a little bit then that's how they get a foothold in the game like the the Oilers might have a skill advantage if the two guys we talked about are out especially Ehlers so can you also make sure you have the physical advantage so that's why I put in size and physicality it's not that the Oilers don't have players who can do it it's that they got to commit to doing it right away not kind of feel their way into the game and then do it well who are the Canucks two best defensemen the Uh, sorry Jets Jets, well Pionk and Morrissey pound them they got to get in. In, yeah. in the playoffs, everybody hits. Like Ryan McLeod had three hits in 10 games. He's got to get energized here and with his speed, get in there and finish some guys off on the forecheck. Cassian's got to get in. And I mean, what Zach Cassian are we going to get? I'm not sure which one we're going to get here. Reed, he hasn't had the sort of season. I, I think he's perfectly poised to have a really good playoff because I think he realizes he can salvage his year here after having a tough season. So uh, those players like that got to get in. And when they get the opportunity to Burry, Neil Pionk, or Burry, Josh Morrissey, they got to make him pay. And that's exactly what I'm talking about. Now, the, the good thing about that, though, is more than ever this year, we've seen the Oilers' two big guys be willing to set the tone physically. I, I mean, Leon, more than ever, isn't taking any guff from anybody. Same with McDavid, though, I mean, he delivered a couple big hits in the playoffs a few years ago, and he doesn't back down from it. So... I hope it doesn't have to happen that way, but I also think the Oilers' skilled guys are going to pull the other guys into the fight if they have to, because they're they will they've proven they are not going away, and then they know what's on the line. So anyway, yeah, absolutely. Okay, I got a quiz for Stoffer. How excited uh, are you? 
Uh, we haven't done one for a while. <laughs> that's that's the first question. How excited are you? Okay. Uh, they're both Edmonton-Philadelphia playoff themes, so you don't have a choice of topic this year. Uh, 1987, Ron Hextall, Flyers goaltender, Conn Smythe yeah. winner, though the Oilers won the Cup. Who was Hextall's backup in the playoffs? Oh, boy. All right. Well, they had Bob Froze, and they would have had uh, Pelly Lindbergh, of course, in 85, and Pelly unfortunately passed away. So, uh, and I don't think Froze was there anymore by 1987. Uh, 1987, eh? Hmm. I'm drawing a blank on who would have been the backup. Connection, connection to the New York Islanders teams that the Oilers would have played, played in the Resch. playoffs. Chico, Chico Resch was the backup. You got that one. In 1980, the Oilers in their first year in the NHL oh boy. Oh boy. snuck into the playoffs. They lost in three straight to the Flyers. This, this is a good one, Bob. I, you're, I think you're going to know this one. I got a lot of faith in you. The Flyers won two of those three games in overtime. Who got yep. the overtime goals? Kenny Linsman got the one that eliminated Edmonton. That is correct. Okay. Was it prop? Even even more famous than prop in Flyers lore. Probably oh, the Flyer. The Bobby, Flyer. Bobby yes. Clark. Bobby Clark. Bobby oh. Clark got the I one. Feel, I feel shame. You have to help me. You have to steer me. I should never feel touch. shame. I'm losing Next time, touch. I'll just ask you to name the entire 1980s Flyer roster. Well, well I, <laughs> That'll be the quiz next time. I Ryan Prop was only 20 years old. Yeah, he got in a fight with Lumley in game one. You can look it up. Oh, did he? Lumley, okay. Oh, yeah. Lumley just beat the crap out of him. It was quite decisive, as I recall. Taught him a lesson. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, uh, Mark, it's funny because, and there's the one thing I would say is I don't think we knew in 80, but I think we knew by the back half, like in 81 against Montreal, Glenn Sather just, he rolled with the kids. Like if Glenn Sather was coaching the Oilers today, he would have played Bouchard. Right, he just would have. That's what he would have done. Paul Coffey that year in 80-81, he was a rookie. He had some. He got healthy, scratched a couple times, and then just said, "Screw it, we're going to stick with him and go with him." Andy Moog, you know the famous story about Gary Edwards. Gary Edwards mm-hmm. telling Glenn say the decision to start Andy Moog would be "quote unquote" the worst decision of his life. Didn't exactly turn out that way. Um, and I think we're headed to. But one thing I'll say, like Mark Messier, Wayne Gretzky. Wayne was an incredibly hard-working player in practice, and the other guys grew as a result of that. Messier and Kevin Lowe used to just grind when they do one-on-one and two-on-two drills. We have something like that happening now with McDavid, Drysaddle, and Nugent Hopkins. Or, sorry, McDavid, Drysaddle, and Nurse. And I think that's going to bode very well, Reed, for the likes of Bouchard and Broberg on defense and, and Yamamoto and Pogliarvi and Holloway and McLeod at forward. I think, you know, it were, the Oilers are in the tournament I don't think it's going to be the last time they're in the tournament. Bob, this, as always, was an absolute blast. I'll see you at the rink tomorrow morning. Uh, you won't if it's an off. Oh. If it's an well, just I'll because see you. How I'll long see you at it some take, point. Way, how long does it take you to get back to your palatial estate in the city's uh, north side? Oh, driving from Rogers? Six or seven minutes. It takes, it takes me, me almost as long to watch to walk from the press well where we are it takes me as long to walk from there to my car as it does to drive home it takes me 28 minutes to get from my house to rogers oh place my. so if, if it's an opt I'm much closer if i'm if it's an opt tomorrow <laughs> i'm I, i'm i'm uh, taking the opt we'll see you tomorrow. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Tomorrow All right. at uh, 4.45. See ya. <laughs> there we go. That's Bob Stoffer. Oilers now noon to 2 tomorrow here on 6.30. Chet, back after the break. Well, I want to thank those of you who have texted in photos of snow on the ground as Bob and I were briefly discover, uh, discussing this hockey weather that's rolling into Edmonton in time for the playoffs. Lyle sent me in uh, a picture here just south of Spruce Grove and I uh, peeked out my window during the commercial and oh my goodness, it is indeed snowing. Hope you are warm and safe wherever you are and enjoying some playoff action tonight and getting ready for the Oilers and the Jets coming up tomorrow. It may not uh, look like it at the moment, but it is golf season. The Ranch Golf and Country Club is open, and we want you and a friend to golf the championship caliber ranch this summer. You can go to the contest page on 630Ched.com for details. You can win a pair of golf passes to the Ranch Golf and Country Club. We'll set up that big Edmonton Oilers Community Foundation 50-50, and we'll visit with Marco Sturm. Now, This episode is supported by FX's Clipped, The scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX's Clipped. Streaming June 4th, only on Hulu. The second leading German-born player in NHL history after he was surpassed by Leon Dreisaitl earlier this year. Coming up. Thanks a lot for tuning in tonight. Here's what's going on in the NHL. Early in the third period, just a minute in, in fact, the Penguins lead the Islanders 2-1 in game two of that series. Five minutes left in the second period, Lightning leading the Panthers 2-1. Minnesota and Vegas starts in half an hour. And in a regular season game this afternoon, the Canucks knocked off the Flames 4-2 in Vancouver. Now 5-0 for the Blue Jays in the top of the sixth as they take on the Boston Red Sox. Well, one of the numbers that you've been hearing all season long on 630 Chet, besides the scores and the stats, is the jackpot for the Edmonton Oilers Community Foundation online 50-50. It's been going on every game, well, really dating back to uh, the bubble last year, but it's continued through the Oilers' regular season this year, and it will continue into the playoffs. And I am pleased to welcome to the show from the Edmonton Oilers Community Foundation, Natalie Minkler. Natalie, you're on with Reed. How are you doing? I'm great, Reed. How are you doing tonight? I'm doing very well. I'm looking forward to the playoffs, and I'm looking forward to see how high these 50-50 numbers are going to go. Before we get into some special things that are going to be happening in the playoffs starting tomorrow, can you just kind of give us a sense of, like, I don't know if you have a, 
a, a total or anything like that, but just how successful it was during the 56-game season? Oh, Reed, it's been wild. Um, you know, we've sold over $30 million of uh total tickets during the Oilers regular season so like it it is astounding and um, the response from Albertans and Oilers fans throughout the province has been uh, really really tremendous Uh, it's it's been we're so fortunate uh, the response that people have participated in in our online 50-50 program and you know the 50-50 at Rogers Place it's always been an important part of our fundraising strategy but the online component just opened up so many opportunities and possibilities to our foundation and really to so many charitable organizations in our community. Yeah, it's just incredible. And we we talked a few weeks ago about some early bird draws that were going on, and that's going to continue into the playoffs. And man, this like honestly, Natalie, when I get these emails, I feel like I have to read them twice because I'm like, what? Really? <laughs> so so I'll let you explain it. What's what's uh, being added in tomorrow? This is incredible. So what we you know we've really seen our. Uh, People are responding and they really like the early bird prizing that we've started back on May the 1st. So um, so tomorrow night we're, we're hosting, we're calling it a 50-50 appreciation. And so, yes, it is the first playoff game that we have, but we're adding in prizing every hour on the hour. So the first prize is at 10 o'clock uh, in the morning and we'll make a draw to, uh, 10 o'clock for example is uh, pizza for a year from pizza 73 and every hour on the hour we're making some incredible draws there's draws for uh, two lower bowl tickets to next season's home opener there's actually lower bowl season tickets for the full season for next year we've got uh, chairman clubs tickets it's really really exciting so if people go on the website uh, they can actually see the list of prizes available and and really I mean it's going to end at 11 o'clock with the 50-50 jackpot of course and someone will take home uh, half of the total sales from tomorrow night's game that's just amazing so we're going to see an awesome total throughout the day and really important i i want to mention of course uh natalie and i know you want to touch on this it's all in support of operation frontline impact yeah that's right reed so we've also dedicated the first two playoff games to a really really important cause uh it's for our frontline workers and we've partnered with 40 hospital foundations in and around northern alberta and so we're going to take the net proceeds from playoff game one playoff game two and dedicate those funds to our frontline workers who you know we all know they've been working tirelessly and um you know they really need our support and our dedication. So we're doing what we can to help out those those frontline workers. And the net proceeds are going to um, support emergency distress critical programming for nurses, doctors, nursing aides, non-medical staff, anybody who works 
in uh, hospitals and uh, our front line dealing with this COVID pandemic. So, you know, uh, we're, we're doing what we can. Um, we, we feel that it, uh, it's very, very important. And we think that uh, Albertans will rally to the cause. In addition to the early bird prizing, we think that we're going to generate some, some much needed dollars for um, our hospital foundations as well. Yeah, that, that's amazing, Natalie. Well, thank you for the update. This is really exciting, and I, I'm, I think it's going to be fun watching that total tomorrow when people jumping in early in the day to get in on those early bird draws. So it starts at 10 tomorrow. It's still 10 to 11 every day, though, just the general hours, every game day. Uh, ticket sales actually open at 9 o'clock. 9, 9 a.m., sorry. 9 a.m. Okay. Our first draw will be at 10 o'clock, and uh, every hour on the hour throughout the day for tomorrow. Right. Okay. Yeah. Right. First draws at ten, but you can start buying at nine. Okay. You Good. bet. Natalie, thanks for the update. All the best with this. We'll talk down the road. You betcha. Thanks, Reed. Have a good evening. Natalie Minkler is the executive director of the Edmonton Oilers Community Foundation and the online 50-50, ready for playoff action. It's seven forty. We're going to catch up with Marco Sturm when we get back. <laughs> Up until recently, he was the highest-scoring German player in NHL history. He was passed by the Oilers' Leon Dreisaitl. He's now an assistant coach with the LA Kings. Please welcome to the show, Marco Sturm. Hi, Marco. How are you doing? I'm doing good. How are you? Well, I'm doing very well. Thanks for taking the time to talk to us here in Edmonton. Uh, we have a few things we want to get to. Hey, uh, I, I should just touch on the season here for the Los Angeles Kings. Obviously, Todd McClellan used to coach here in Edmonton. I, I know, of course, at this time of year, you wish you were preparing for the playoffs. But just tell me overall uh, how it went for L.A. this season. Um, yeah, I mean, uh, it's tough because, uh, like everyone knows, we, 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 we try to change a lot of things here in our organization. And, um, you know, we're putting putting a, a lot of new kids and, uh, and and especially younger kids in our lineup and and it will take time. So uh, I think we took another step uh, towards getting younger and, um, you know, guys like Carter, like key guys who's been around in that organization, around that team uh, a lot as well uh, left. Um, so that, that always leaves a mark, but that's, you know, uh, I think we're, that's just the way it's going to be. And uh, I think we're in the right track here. Um, you know, we have uh, some good access uh, coming up. They do need some more time, though. So, um, but yeah, so we are right in the middle. It can be very, I can tell you, it can be very frustrated. Um, of course, when you're not uh, making the playoffs and you probably not win that many games, but it, it's part of it. And uh, and we're right in there, and we just hope uh, for another big summer, uh, and maybe get some help as well, and 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 try to draft even more kids, and and try to be a better team again next year, and 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 you know, and and pushing more towards uh, I'm not saying playoffs, but pushing you know uh, upwards. Uh, that's for sure. I I want to ask about your transition to coaching, and you've had some very 
very successful moments as the coach of the German national team, Deutschland Cup, uh, silver at the Winter Olympics. Was it when when you were playing? Did you see yourself going into coaching one day, or what took you there? <laughs> uh, absolutely not. And um, but that time I was in uh, because the Panthers were my last team, so I settled in Tampa, uh, in, uh, in in Florida. Sorry. And uh, and uh, yeah, no, it's it was basically my son. Um, because he plays hockey and he was the guy who was like, come on, dad, like, um, why not going on the ice with us? So I started to do that and all of a sudden I, I enjoyed it. And even with the little kids, it started with the little kids and, and sure enough, uh, um, I got all the kids and then, and then, um, the national team called. So everything happened really, really fast. I never wanted to be a coach, but here I am now. And. And like you said, it's, uh, you know, the silver medal with uh, Team Germany, that that changed a lot too. So I was, I wanted more, I was hungry for more. And 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 because of that, um, the silver medal, I think that's why I really got the opportunity here, uh, here in Los Angeles. Marco Sturm joining us tonight on Inside Sports. So pretty significant this season. Uh, you were in the news here in Edmonton because Leon Dreisaitl surpassed you as the highest scoring German player of all time. But tell me what, what it was like to see that record fall and to see Leon do it. <laughs> I mean, it was just a matter of time. And, uh, you know, it took me 15 years. Uh, it took Leon four years, I think. Uh, so, uh, no, but Leon is a special player. Uh, he really shows it the last two years, I would say, how special he is. And uh, no, I, I don't have any problem with that, passing on uh, uh, that milestone, but he deserves it. He's, he's the best German who ever played this game. And, and like everyone else, I just love watching him even get better every year and, and, and grow um as a person as well i got to know him in in with the national team he's a he's a very competitive very good guy and uh no i think that's just the start for for him as well so you know leon talks about looking up to you and some other guys when he was a kid and now young german hockey players will clearly look up to him and dominic cahoon and and players like that when you were uh, a little guy, tell me a little bit about German hockey, uh, how, how strong it was. Did you have, did, like, did you look up to German hockey players or what is, was it other athletes that maybe you idolized? There was a few, yes. Uh, of course, there was uh, the German guys, um, you know, especially the, the, the German players and also the import players um, who played in my hometown, guys like Mike Bullard, uh, Wally Schreiber, those guys, I ended up playing with them actually, but those were the guys I was looking up, right, first. And then, uh, you know, when I got a teenager, then, uh, um, yeah, of course, then the, the NHL kicked in more. But, you know, social media, we couldn't watch it on, on TV. Like, there's nothing out there. So for us, especially like me being from Germany, I, I kind of learned the teams, the logos, the players through PlayStation or uh, Nintendo, you know, those, those kind of games. There's, I mean, it's kind of funny, but that's just the way it was. And, uh, and uh, yeah, but there is some other sports. I, I'm a, I, you know, I love, I love different sports as well, but I, you know, I, I think the one thing uh, with Steffi Graf and Boris Becker, those tennis guys, they, these were my idols because they were one of the best in their business.
Yeah, for sure. Yeah, Th- those are some great athletes. Uh, absolutely. So how did you get noticed and scouted to come to North America? Because, you know, you did get drafted. And I think you were only 19 or 20 when you debuted in the NHL. So how did you sort of start uh, making a name for yourself with NHL scouts? That was all uh, national team. So when you, you know, nobody's watching really uh, uh, junior hockey in Germany. So the only chance as a German kid, uh, you got to play in a national team. And, you know, that's for the under 18. It used to be a European championship. Uh, I was really good. I was in an all-star team there. So that really caught someone's eyes. Um, I was playing up two, three years with some older kids to play the under 20 tournament in Red Deer and in Boston. So I think that really helped me. And that's how, you know, that's how I think scouted. Uh, scouts looked at me a little bit closer and, you know, I got, I got drafted in San Jose. So uh, especially these guys, uh, Dean Lombardi and Tim Burke uh, is still the scout there. These were the guys who, you know, always, even years before I got drafted, these were the guys who always were at the games and always looked at eye on me. So I was, I was actually hoping to land in San Jose. Uh, I want to ask you, I don't know where to begin for sure. I mean, you played close to a thousand games. I think you were over a thousand games counting the playoffs. Um, I I think you scored an overtime goal in a winter classic. Um, But I, but I, but I mean, you played in playoff games as well. Is there a, what's your, I'll ask you, what's your most memorable goal in the national hockey league? Um, I always say uh, those three goals I really remember. It's definitely my first goal. Obviously my first game in San Jose, um, coming in from Germany, uh, score, uh, scoring the game-winning goal. I think that was something really, really special. Um, there is the outdoor game uh, at Fenway, you know, scoring the overtime goal and, and, and starting something really, something big in Boston uh, to be part of. I think that was, that goal was definitely changed uh, my time there in Boston uh, as a player and as a person, for sure. And but then there's another goal. I don't know for some reason because it was uh, a rivalry, Boston, Boston, Montreal, and uh, I was uh, had a really good, strong, good game uh, at home uh, against Montreal um, and scored a a pretty goal as well. So those probably those were my three biggest uh, goal moments in uh, in my career. Yeah, well, those those are all pretty good ones. I'll I'll just ask you one more. Um, where do you maybe this is this is tough because i know you spend most of the hockey seasons in in north america now but uh you know where do you think german hockey is headed it it was a a really cool silver medal an exciting run back in in 2018 um is can is can german hockey one day be a true powerhouse with the swedens and canadas and russias of the world how far away are they yeah i mean this is always it's going to be our goal, uh, maybe our dream, who knows. But, you know, when I took over the national team, uh, uh, I also got involved with the junior hockey and everything else. So we did a lot of things what actually pays off now. It just takes time, right? And But you also need the results, like the, the silver medal, but also the world championships. All of a sudden now we we make it consistently, like, almost to the quarterfinals. So that's huge for us. That's another step. 
if you look at, you know, the junior, the under 20s, um, you know, those kind of teams, we're getting more consistent. So that's a, uh, that's a, that's the right step. Uh, there's still a lot of, a lot of work to do, but I, I think we we're definitely heading in the, in the right direction. Um, we're still not there yet, but, um, but uh, I, I think in the future we, we, you know, we can maybe not a, a Sweden or, or Czech, but we can, we can always be a, a top maybe six to eight in the world um, consistently and very, uh, no, very, uh, very good uh, in the future. That's, yeah. I think that's, that's just a goal we have. Yeah, for sure. Well, Marco, it's nice to catch up with you. Thanks for talking a little bit about the LA Kings and your journey. And of course, Leon Dreisaitl's success, which now we hope here in Edmonton continues in the postseason. All the best to you. Really appreciate your time. Absolutely. Thanks for having me and uh, good luck to Oilers. Right on. That's good to catch up with Marco Sturm, now an assistant coach with the LA Kings. And until this regular season was the top scoring German born player in the history of the NHL, that title now belongs to Leon Dreisaitl, who's on the ice tomorrow at seven. Our coverage starts at five with the faceoff show. Here we go. Game one, Oilers and Jets. After two, the Lightning lead the Panthers 2-1. Six minutes left in the third. Penguins up 2-1 on the Islanders. Wild and Golden Knights coming up in a regular season game. Earlier, the Canucks beat the Flames 4-2, and the Blue Jays up 6-0 on Boston in the seventh. Talk to you at five tomorrow. It's playoff time. 630 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 630 Chad.